0: Tender mercy, the true life has been my guide. And it is divine, his comfort, through my faith in him
1: to drown. For I know. You just kind of get to that point, and it's not cantankerous, <laughs> it's just really wise. You just get to a point where you don't need it. And as you grow in the Lord and as you know that that he's all you need, you no longer need the junk in this world. And so when they come to you and they try to get you to compromise with things of the world, you're no longer interested. Have you noticed that as you get older or more mature in the Lord? It's really an awesome thing. But I love it. Daniel's like, no, keep your junk. But I'm going to tell you what it says. Now, some speculate that what's going on here is the words that are written on the wall are written in ancient Hebrew. That's what many scholars believe, is that it was in ancient Hebrew. Now, Aramaic, Chaldean language, is similar to Hebrew, but there are, the words are a bit different. Now, some speculate it is in ancient Hebrew. It's in that perfect form of Hebrew. And just, just my opinion, um, this is a side note, I think in heaven we'll probably speak some perfect form of Hebrew. And again, that's my own bias, but I just, I'm speculating. We'll, when we get there, it won't matter. But, but Hebrew is a beautiful language, ancient Hebrew especially. And so some say this is probably written in ancient Hebrew that they couldn't read, but that Daniel could read, obviously. But some say, no, it was probably just written in the common language, but it was shielded from their eyes. And it was written in such a way that it demanded interpretation. Now, I I don't really know which it was, because Scripture doesn't tell us exactly. But either way, it doesn't matter if it's both. Daniel is needed for the interpretation. And so God raises him up. Now, what Daniel does first, I love as a teacher. I love this. Now, I will just tell you, as a teacher, I make everyone around me miserable. And I get that. My family, everybody, everything's a teachable moment. Have you ever been around a teacher or are you a teacher where everything is a teachable moment? You know, you see a sunset and you go, let me tell you about the sunset. You know, And then you make it a teachable moment and everyone's just looking at you going, really? Even now? But Daniel's going to make this a teachable moment. I love this. But he's going to turn it into a life lesson for Belshazzar, a Bible study, really. Verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, And his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingdom or kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. Verse 21, then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses." That is a Bible study. What a powerful teaching. Because in essence, is what he's saying is, you're no Nebuchadnezzar. I knew Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a friend of mine. And you, sir, are no Nebuchadnezzar. That's an old political reference, by the way. But here's the thing. Belshazzar was no king. He was no Nebuchadnezzar. And he told him, he said, you should have known from your grandfather's lesson about pride. You should have known those who raise themselves up will be deposed, will be taken down. Nebuchadnezzar learned one of the hardest lessons a man can learn, that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And we looked at this in detail. Nebuchadnezzar, because of his pride, God chopped him down for seven years because he loved him. It was an act of mercy. And it should have been a lesson that his grandson learned, that everyone around him learned. It should have been. But again, before we're too hard on Belshazzar, understand this we've been given the scripture. We have so many lessons in the scripture that we, that you and I can learn from. And you know, the Bible tells us that the more knowledge you have, the more you're held accountable. To much is given, much is required. The more understanding you have of scripture, and I don't mean to take away any excuses today, but yes, I do. The more knowledge you have of scripture, the less excuses you have. The more knowledge you have, the less of an excuse you have. Because you have, we have, you and I have the lessons of Scripture. We have the lessons of David. We don't need to commit adultery. We have the lessons of, of, um, of Solomon, that we shouldn't search after all the things of the world. We have the lessons of even the disciples and their mistakes and their, and their folly. We can learn from all of their mistakes. That's why God gave us the Scripture, and that's why the Scripture doesn't hold back any punches. It just tells you warts and all how people are and what they went through. Because God wants us to have those lessons so that we can learn those lessons like Belshazzar should have learned from his grandfather. He knew the story, and yet he was living in pride, doing whatever he wanted, living sinful. But you know, the most painful lessons I've ever had to learn in my life are the ones I have to learn over and over and over again because I refuse to learn because I refuse to learn from those lessons, not only from family members and other people I see around me, but from the scripture. And I want to challenge us today to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord and learn the lessons he has for us in his word. King Belshazzar didn't do that. He didn't learn the lessons of his grandfather, and he's going to pay the ultimate price. Verse 22, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Could you imagine? May that never be said of any of us. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, now note this, which do not see or hear or know, And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. You're worshiping things that can't even talk to you. You're worshiping things that are nothing, they're all going to burn. And yet you don't glorify the God that gave you life. The very one who holds you in his hand. Think of this. The Lord has something against Belshazzar. Wouldn't you hate to hear that the Lord had something against you? You know, I can't help but mention again those seven letters in Revelation. Those seven letters that are dictated to seven churches from Jesus to John for seven churches, but they're for us as well. All of those letters are beautiful in a sense. We know that two of them didn't have anything negative, but the other five did. But four of them, now Laodicea was nothing but negative, but four of them, Jesus had good things to say about the church, but then he would conclude with nevertheless, I have this against you. Think about that for a second. If Jesus was to write you a personal letter today, no matter how you're serving and what you're doing, he would probably go through the good things you're doing. What would your letter look like? Would it say something like this? I'm pleased with you for attending church, for giving to ministry. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You sit alone in the dark at night on the internet looking at things you shouldn't look at. I love you, but I have this against you. Or you're outwardly kind. I appreciate that you're outwardly kind and you pray for others and you're considerate. Nevertheless, you still gossip and backbite. You still tear down people instead of building them up. Or what do you say, you know, I'm so proud of you that you encourage others and you help and you serve whenever you can. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Inside you're still bitter. Inside you're still resentful, you're angry, and you're bitter. If Jesus were here today and he wrote us a letter, what would it say? Would he be proud of you in every area or would there be a nevertheless? That's a really challenging thing to think about. I don't want my Lord to have anything against me or you. You know, the Lord is looking for a spotless bride. He's purifying his bride even now. He wants a bride, a, a vessel of honor. He's not looking for people to stumble into heaven with sin attached to them everywhere. He's looking for a bride who's wearing white, who's pure from the inside out, who's living their life for their Lord, their King, and willing to die for him, willing to live for him, and doing whatever they can to make sure they're purified. Do you understand? It's not a legalistic message. It's a message of love. He loves you anyway. You're still saved. Those churches, he says, I still, I love you. Even Laodicea, those who weren't even saved, I love you. I'm just begging you to repent is in essence what Jesus is saying. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us so much. He died for us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he wants us to be pure and spotless before him. Now, we can't do anything on our own. We can't live this life and and be holy before God. But we can devote our lives to surrender and to overcoming those things, the neverthelesses in our life. He wants a pure bride. But this young king... Scripture tells us he didn't even acknowledge God. He didn't acknowledge the God of his grandfather, even though he knew all of those lessons. He ignored those lessons. He should have learned, but he didn't. He didn't glorify the one true God. Pastor David Guzik wrote this, "...the breath of the creature should praise the Creator, but Belshazzar blasphemed God with his breath. The ways of the creature should glorify the Creator, but Belshazzar used his ways to mock and offend God. Every creature owes something to the Creator." And in Talbot, in his commentary, he wrote this, If God held Belshazzar responsible, my friend, for the ray of light which shone across his pathway, what will he say to men living in the blaze of light which illuminates the world today? We have something Belshazzar didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have the cross to look back on. Salvation. How much more will we be held accountable
0: This has been Hold Fast, a radio outreach ministry of Golgotha Fellowship in Nampa, Idaho. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to hear this message again, or any other in their entirety, please visit golgothafellowship.org. Our fellowship meets in Southeast Nampa, and our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. For more information visit our website. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.
1: Hi folks, Pastor Marty here. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the teaching today. You know, it's my prayer that it's encouraged you to continue faithfully in the study of God's Word. I think it's so crucially important that these days the body of Christ stay grounded and anchored in the Word of God as the world around us is sinking in the waves of false doctrine and the opinions of men. If you are seeking a church family, a church home, and you live in the southeast Nampa area, I want to personally invite you. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m., and we currently meet at East Valley Middle School. That's right off Greenhurst and Happy Valley. If you want to find out more, if you have any questions, you need directions, you want to catch up on a message, or if you have a prayer request, just go to our website, golgothafellowship.org. Let me help you spell that. It's G O L G O T H A G-O-L-G-O-T-H-A-Fellowship.org. Until next time, may God bless you, and remember to hold fast.